Hi, my name's Alyssa. And my name's Melissa. Welcome back to the Deliverability Defined Podcast. Each week, we'll be diving deep into a topic and giving you practical advice to improve your email deliverability. In other words, we'll help you reach the inbox of your subscribers and stay out of their spam folders, leading to more success in your email marketing. Deliverability can be complex, but we're here to define it. Good morning, Melissa. How are you? I'm good. How are you today? I'm good. I feel a little low energy, but I'm going to try and pep this thing up. Yeah, this will be kind of an interesting topic, and I think one that's a little bit mysterious in a way. So hopefully we can shed some light on block lists, which is what we're going to talk about today. Yes. And I'm just, you know, this is fresh on my mind because we just recorded yesterday the episode on hey.com, which I think was really fun and interesting. And one thing we mentioned was that the use of the word spy pixels, we hated that that kind of like just provided so much fear for people who might not understand it. And I feel like block lists do that same thing. Maybe people who don't understand what it is, just hear it or see it or learn that they might be on one and they're panicked. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, they do sound like something that could like really affect your deliverability if you don't know what to do or what they do to cause problems for you. So we'll talk about that and kind of clarify. Yes, love it. Before we do that, we did have a question that I think is perfect to answer before we get started today. And that question was that we mentioned IP addresses throughout our knowledge base articles and throughout this podcast, but that the person that asked the question doesn't really understand what we mean when we're saying IP address. And they said, do you mean the IP address of my domain or of ConvertKit? So whenever we mention IP address, we're pretty much always talking about the IP addresses that ConvertKit owns or your ESP owns or any whatever IP address is being used to send the email. So every email out there is sent using an IP address. Of course, there are domains involved and those domains point to IP addresses. But we're really talking about whatever IP address the email came from when we're mentioning things like allow listing IP addresses. If we talk about an IP address being block listed, we're talking about whatever IP was used to send that email. Right. This concept's a little bit confusing because in general, like if you first start in email marketing and you are using an ESP, it's hard to like sometimes conceptualize where the sending is going just because you know a lot of us are used to sending from our Gmail address to another Gmail address and we don't really think about anything else like Alyssa said convertkit owns a bundle of IPs if you will and those are what we're talking about when we specifically are saying your IP address might be this it might be that that's what we're talking about yeah exactly any email has to be sent from an IP address no matter what ESP you're using, whether you built something yourself, whether you're using Gmail. So exactly. We just mean whatever IP address is being used to send a message throughout this podcast. We might talk a little bit about dedicated IP versus a shared pool of IPs. So we'll get more into what we mean when we say that and why there are benefits to each. Right. Awesome. We just want to also be transparent and highlight the fact that we are using the term block list instead of using the word blacklist. We've been listening and learning and we want to make sure that we use language that's inclusive and intentional. We've seen this trending right now. We want to make sure that we are listening and understanding. This has been a discussion that Alyssa and I have seen 
in the deliverability world, in email. So yeah. Yeah. We know a lot of others in the industry are making this change too, which we think is great. And some made it long ago. So we hope that others do the same and that from now on, maybe block listing. And we personally use allow list at ConvertKit when we talk about what we used to refer to as a whitelist. I know some people are using safe list, things like that. But I think those terms are also just so much more descriptive. They are. You know what's happening. A block list, you're being blocked. For our case, allow list, someone is allowing you to send messages to them. So overall, I think this is obviously a very good change. Right. And some it can be a, bit, a little bit confusing anyways with the whole allow list because some email box providers will use, you know, safe sender or add to contact list. So there's a lot of terms for like the allow list too that can be interchangeable. Yeah, exactly. But I think luckily they're all descriptive enough that it's not super confusing. The reason why we chose allow list at ConvertKit, just to be fully transparent if anyone's interested, and I know I've seen a couple others say the same, is just that the word safe list, when it comes to like some of the things we have to do at ConvertKit for fighting spam and making sure people don't use our platform in a way we don't allow, to mark someone on a safe list just feels very permanent. People could not be safe, even though they might look safe at first. So an allow list is more of like a temporary, I'm allowing them right now. I want them to, if you're a user, I want them to receive my email, or in our case, I want them to be able to send email. Yeah. So anyways, just some terminology, lingo stuff there, but we do want to be transparent. And I think this is an important time to highlight that we're talking about block lists right now when everyone, a lot of people are changing their language for the better. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's jump into what a block list is. Alyssa, do you want to explain? Yeah. So a block list is an organization that compiles a list of IPs, maybe domains as well, or they might use both. And they believe those IPs or domains to be risky most of the time. If a mailbox provider, spam filter, or mail administrator decides to use a particular block list, they can deny messages that come from an IP or domain that is listed on the block list. So just like a quick example of how that might look. If I run a mail you know, system for a business and all my employees, I make sure that their spam filtering is working properly. So I might pick a block list that I trust, I like, and use their data as my kind of to add to my spam filter. And then I would set up a rule that says, if a sender is listed on this block list that I trust, please bounce the message. I could say send the message to spam. For the most part, a lot of senders or receivers can get pretty specific with what they want to do with a block list. But that's pretty much how it works. It's just a data point that a lot of some large mailbox providers, also smaller receivers and spam filters all over the place will use to determine if a message should be accepted or not. And there are hundreds of block lists in existence, and each mailbox provider or spam filter has their own settings to determine which block list they pay attention to. It's actually crazy how many there are, and anyone can go and set up a block list, which is something that I had no idea until I started working at ConvertKit, which is kind of an interesting, an interesting thing that someone can just say, I want to go set up my own block list. Yeah, we can start one today. Maybe we should do it. Usually the mailbox provider or spam filter will only refer to a one to three trusted block list providers. Yeah. The crazy thing is that it's all so custom and 
it's really different. So I know we've talked about in another episode on sender reputation, how each mailbox provider is different in the algorithms they use. And you want to have a good reputation with each mailbox provider, and they're not always the same. So it's very similar here. You could be on a block list and one mailbox provider can be looking at that block list and block your messages. And all the others could not have any problem with that block list, not be using it and totally accept all of your emails. So that's another interesting layer to block lists is that it's not, oh, you're listed on any block list in the world. All your messages are going to spam or being blocked. It sounds like it from the terminology, which is, I think, why people get confused or kind of nervous about it, because it makes it sound like you can't send at all pretty much. Right. Which is just not true. Uh, Yeah. I think there's that. That's a big issue with block lists is that it caused so much panic. And I don't know if there's much to do to change the, we already just edited it. But I think another thing, and this is just a theory with block lists that make it an area that a lot of people focus on is that deliverability is really complex. Like we're talking about this whole podcast and a lot of issues come from things that You need to take time and patience and make a bunch of changes to improve. And I almost feel like whenever someone does a lookup and sees they're on a block list, they might be a little relieved because they think, oh, I can just change this one thing. If I get off this block list or my ESP gets off this block list, all my problems are solved. I'll have 100% inbox placement when in reality, typically the block list they found does not impact their mail at all. And we need to do some harder work to see improvement. Well, that's kind of a great segue into the fact that IPs and domains are typically added to block lists for hitting too many spam traps. So talking about other deliverability issues, not just like a Band-Aid fix, if you have spam traps on your list, there may be something that you've done to acquire those spam traps at one point. And we've talked, we have a whole episode on spam traps. If you're interested, you can go back and listen to that episode. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of an example of something that Maybe you have a bad list and you've scraped emails off the internet or whatever, and you have a a ton of spam traps on your list. That's going to be not an easy fix. Like, oh, I'm on a blacklist. I can just remove my IP address from that. Everything will be fine. But it probably won't be because there's probably some underlying issues that are causing you to have other deliverability problems. Right. And here's where it gets even more confusing. So most senders are using an ESP, like ConvertKit. To send mail. If you're using a tool like MX Toolbox or Glock Apps or some sort of inbox placement tool or block list lookup, it's possible you see, oh my goodness, I'm on a block list. What's going on? But if you're using an ESP and it says the IP address that was used to send the message is blocked and you don't have a dedicated IP at your ESP, then you probably honestly didn't cause that block list because you're using a shared IP pool at your ESP, which means you are sending messages off of the same IP addresses that other senders that are using that ESP are. So you're sharing IP addresses with usually thousands of other senders. So if you see that the IP address is on a block list, and you're using an ESP and you don't have a dedicated IP, again, it's probably, it might be you, but it's probably not you that caused the block listing. That probably sounds really scary to you right now. I was going to say that that's always a hard thing to explain to people because I think automatically it makes people on the defense like, why are we doing that then? Right. So let me give you a silver lining and explain a little bit. So first off, 
a lot of senders typically don't have enough mail that they're sending on their own to sustain a dedicated IP's volume. We really like to see, I mean, hundreds of thousands of messages sent a day on a dedicated IP. So if you want a dedicated IP, you really need to be sending hundreds of thousands of messages either a day or pretty regularly, multiple times a week. Most senders aren't able to do that. And then another thing is that honestly, Sending off of a shared IP pool is typically a boost to a lot of senders' reputation because of our deliverability and compliance team and all of the work we do, at least at ConvertKit. I can only speak to ConvertKit, but I do know there are lots of other ESPs who have similar deliverability and compliance teams. They really all should. And don't hesitate to reach out to your ESP and say, I'd love to know more about the structure of your deliverability and compliance team. I just want to be sure the IPs I'm sending off of are being managed properly, they have a good reputation, and that block lists are being monitored all of the time because that's what we do. So you'll never be reaching out to us about a block listing that we didn't know about. We have tools and monitoring and people who are always aware of any block listing that happens. And we are experts with relationships at the block list. We know all of the inner work, not all of the inner workings probably, but we know how each block listing works when it comes to what do you need to do to get delisted? What are they looking for? What caused this? Can I figure out which customer of ours caused it? And then we do the hard work of reaching out to whoever caused it, making sure that they are following our policies and also that they are fixing whatever problem caused it. It's a very fast turnaround. Oh, yeah. Sometimes customers will reach out and they'll notice a small bounce issue and we will have already dealt with the block list. So it's it happens very quickly. Yeah. And I would say very rarely as well, just (laughs) because I want you to have confidence and feel relief that like we are doing that for you. That's one of the kind of hidden things an ESP is doing for you that a lot of senders don't realize. And it is just, it's a normal part of email, but we have experts on the case to help you and to keep the system running really healthy. And like I mentioned earlier, I said, usually shared IPs boost your sender reputation and help you get to the inbox better. We see that all the time. We do. And I can like highlight why that is. So essentially, similar to monitoring block lists, our team is always monitoring the senders on our platform. And we have very high standards for what we allow. And the reason for that is because we want our deliverability to be amazing. And we want the IP pools to all have a really great reputation. So We are looking at every single customer on ConvertKit's open rates, complaint rates, bounce rates, their activity, what subscribers are saying, if we get any direct complaints, so much more. And we are always monitoring the health of the pools. We keep really good relationships with all of the mailbox providers and block list providers. All of that combined gives ConvertKit a really great reputation and gives our IP pools really great reputations so that if you join ConvertKit and you start sending off of any of our IP pools, you would hopefully see better deliverability than you would if you were to just send on your own using some dedicated IP you found somewhere. And we post deliverability reports every month that dive more into that. We talk about the average open rate at ConvertKit, the average complaint rate, the average delivery rate, which is a really good thing to highlight the 
amount of block listings that we don't see, essentially, because our delivery rate is always above 98%, and it's typically above 99%. So if we ever saw a major, major block list event, a lot of messages would be bounced. (laughs) So it wouldn't be possible to keep that high delivery rate. So feel free to check those out every month if you're curious. And each block list, just to go into that a little bit, has its own individualized delisting process, which is why your ESP is taking care of that because they, like Alyssa mentioned, have a relationship already with those block lists. And some of them automatically delist you after 24 hours. So some delist when they see a decrease in spam trap hits or complaints, and some will require you to fill out a form for automatic delisting. But like we mentioned, that's not usually anything you would have to worry about when you're at an ESP. Yep, exactly. So do not attempt to delist yourself if you're using an ESP. It's probably not going to go well. And the way block lists work typically is that they have relationships with all of the ESPs. Like Melissa said, the people there know exactly what information they need. They're usually very specific on what they want to hear from you, what details they want, what details they don't want. So lean on your ESP to do that work for you. If the block list is impactful, there's a good chance they're already doing it. They've already done it. But if you are concerned, always reach out to your ESP and not the actual block list because it's going to be more successful if your ESP does that delisting request for you. So that brings up a a very common question that is understandable. We see this a lot. So scenario, I ran my IP or domain through a mailbox checker or I ran an inbox placement test and it says I'm on a block list, what should I do? Very common question. Also, like I said, very understandable. Yeah, I think in this scenario, it's probably someone who just is curious, like, oh, I wonder how my deliverability is going. And sometimes they'll run like a Glock apps or a inbox placement test and they get the test back and they actually usually see pretty good inbox placement, but there is this little red warning that says, the IP that sent this message is on two block lists and it looks really scary and people panic and reach out to their ESP. So again, like Melissa said earlier, there are hundreds of block lists. Melissa and I could create one right now. You could create one right now if you wanted to. And I'm not trying to minimize block lists because there are many block lists that are amazing and huge and have a huge impact. And We respect all block lists. We think that they're doing great work. We're certainly not saying that block lists should just be ignored or minimized. I'm just saying, (laughs) if you see that you're on a block list, don't just panic immediately. You're going to need some more data to understand what that means for you. The best way to know if your mail is being impacted by a block list is first looking at your bounce rates. If you see that you're having a lot of bounces, We would consider a bounce rate over 2% to be elevated. There's a chance that it could be happening due to a block list. If you're a ConvertKit customer, you can reach out to us with some examples of messages that are uh, bouncing, and we can tell you if the bounce reason was a block list or something different. And block lists can be specific. So there are block lists for specific regions. This was actually a really great example that Alyssa thought of. If you see you're on a block list and it's specific to Brazil, but you have no customers or subscribers in Brazil, it's very unlikely that a Brazilian block list would have any impact on your deliverability. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like this is so, it is even confusing just to talk about. So I imagine for someone who doesn't know much about block list or deliverability, this is, it just is confusing because... Again, if 
It's an IP address that's shared through your ESP and it's Brazilian and you have no subscribers in Brazil, then yeah, like you probably just need to ignore that, honestly. If you're not using an ESP and the IP address is only used by you or it's your domain, again, it's in Brazil, so it's probably not impacting that much mail if you don't have any Brazilian subscribers, but it means your messages caused that block listing there and it was only you who was sending off of that. So you might want to check that out. It actually could mean that a spammer has spoofed your domain and that spam has caused your domain or IP to be block listed. So there is a little bit of nuance here when it comes to what you do when you find out you're on a block list. So you should ask yourself, is this my IP address and my domain that are block listed? Or am I using an ESP and this IP is used by lots of other senders? If it's the fact that it's used by lots of other senders, reach out to your ESP. Ask them, is this impacting my mail? And they'll let you know. Surely they're already on the case, but you can have that conversation. If you are using your own system and for some reason, or maybe that's a dedicated IP or it's your specific domain, then you might want to dig more into it. Because like we said earlier, you probably have spam traps on your list. We have a whole episode on how to avoid spam traps the right way. So check that out if that's the case. But anyways, just wanted to say that it is important that someone's taking action. And if it's a shared IP situation, your ESP will make sure whoever caused it is taking that action they need to take. If it's not shared IP and you your messages caused it, you need to be sure and take the right actions to fix the problem that caused the block listing. So like we mentioned with, you know, block lists can be very specific. It's important to note that also some block lists are more commonly used for B2C addresses like Gmail, Hotmail, Yahoo, while others are commonly used for B2B addresses. So for example, if you have a lot of subscribers on your list with custom domains, like it's their business, it's their school, whatever it may be, it's not like a gmail.com, it's like mycompany.com. That's considered a B2B address because it's business to business. The block lists that are used in those two different scenarios are often different. So it's also good to know if you send a lot of B2B mail, pay attention to the B2B specific block list. And if you send mostly B2C mail, then pay attention to mostly the B2C block list. And then just a note, there's so many block lists out there. I Part of me wanted to you know go through some of them, but Yeah, I don't think you would want to hear that. And there's just so much information. But the ultimate, I feel like the most impactful block list that you might have heard of is Spam House. And that's spelled Spam, H-A-U-S. They are used by so many large mailbox providers and smaller mailbox providers. And it feels like almost everyone. They're used by a lot of people to determine if messages should be bounced or sent to spam. So definitely keep an eye on Spam House. If you're using an ESP, trust me, they are keeping a close eye on Spam House. They're always making sure that they're not listed there. So just a note that that's kind of the biggest block list. So the typical kind of workflow for mailbox providers kind of is as follows. Is the sending IP on a block list we care about? If yes, then the message will be bounced. If not, the message goes through. You want to do the next one? Yeah. Is the sending domain on a block list we care about? So that would be your sending domain. If yes, bounce. If not, keep going. And if there are any URLs in the email that are on a block list we care about, then yes, send a spam. Yeah. And that's not a hard and fast rule. Like I said, every block list is very different, but this seems to be a pattern I've seen a lot. 
And you might be wondering, what do you mean by URLs in the email that are on a block list? So one thing I think a lot of people don't realize is that there are so many URLs and domains in your message, aside from just sending the email, but in the content. And those domains and URLs, they all have a reputation and it matters to your sending and what happens. So some URLs and domains to pay attention to. The URL that your ESP is using as a link tracking domain does matter. The URL that you are adding to the message. So if you want to link someone to your website, then that would be your website. If you wanted to link someone to a YouTube video, then it would be youtube.com. Their reputation would be part of your message. That's why we don't encourage you to use link shorteners. We actually say you shouldn't use link shorteners because, for example, Bitly. A lot of spammers are using Bitly to try and hide the ultimate destination they're sending people. So oftentimes, link shorteners have pretty bad reputations and having them in the content of your message can cause some problems. One more place you can find URLs in your message that some people don't realize is the source of your image. So whatever you're using to host the images in your email, that domain also carries a reputation. So you want to be careful about all of that. So fascinating. So many aspects to block lists. And it's kind of a little overwhelming, but the good news is, is that if you are with an ESP, like we've mentioned a few times now, they're doing most of the heavy lifting. Yeah. And we only scratched the surface, but with this podcast, we really want it to be for email senders who just haven't learned a lot about deliverability yet. Maybe it's been hard to find the information you need. And we really want to give you mostly like the information you need to know. I think that's why there's not a lot of deliverability information out there or it's hard to find what you need because the topic can just go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper the more you get into it. And as someone who does it every day, it's hard to know how much to share. And then you just feel like, oh, it's too complex. We just shouldn't talk about it at all. I know we've been putting off this one because I just, I see the behind the scenes work every day of even like the block list and just knowing people who do that work. It's so important. And, but also I see the customers writing in, freaking out that they found that their IP is on a block list. And so I want to juggle the, the, both of those pieces of block list and help you senders understand to not panic and to look at your data. That's always the most important part. I think that's something we talk about all the time. Like, doesn't matter what deliverability aspect, like 90% of the time, there's not a reason to panic. It's going through your data, checking, making sure that what you're seeing fits with what problem you think is happening. Because sometimes the problem that's seems kind of obvious could be something else. And that's why, like Alyssa said, the layers are very there are a lot. So it takes a little bit of time to sort of like get a hang of what to look at. I mean, in this particular situation, if you're not using an ESP and you want to make sure that you delist yourself from a block list, you need to audit your list and you should only be using opt-ins. Yeah, always. That's the first thing. Yeah. And then one thing we talk about, I think every episode is send an opt-in confirmation email to anyone who hasn't opened an email from you in 12 months, potentially shorter, depending on your situation. If it's a really major block list or your list is in really bad shape, you might want to shorten that even more and then remove subscribers who don't confirm their opt-in. Yes. And make sure your forms are double opt-in. This is something that's like 
I think kind of tough. We've talked about in the past as well. A lot of people get a little nervous, I think, because they want to make sure that people receive their confirmation emails. So oftentimes they'll say, well, I just want to auto confirm them. This just can cause so many problems down the road for you long term. So in order to just secure the health of your list, we really, really suggest using double opt-ins on all of your forms. Yes, 100%. And then after you've taken all the steps above and your list is in a really good place, go to the block list website and follow their delisting steps. Sometimes, like Melissa said, it just automatically happens once they see that your volume has gotten better, that you're not hitting as many spam traps. Sometimes you just have to fill out a form and filling out that form automatically delists you. And sometimes you have to email them, tell them everything you've done and hope that they are okay with removing you from their block list. But that is kind of like a hidden gem Good thing about using an ESP is that there are experts who are getting paid to do this for you. So again, if you're using an ESP, lean on them. These are steps if essentially you're not using an ESP or for some other reason you have to do this work on your own. Yeah, I think that that pretty much sums up block lists in a concise way that hopefully you guys can understand and maybe it will take a little bit of pressure off of you if you ever use one of those inbox placement tests that says that. And hopefully, you know, you can rely a little bit more heavily on your ESP. Yes, that's awesome. Okay, well, block lists. (laughs) If you haven't already, please rate and review our podcast. We really love to hear them. If you give us a five-star review, we'll probably read it on the podcast because we're excited and we are just figuring all this out. If you haven't already, go to convertkit.com slash deliverability where we post the show notes for every episode. And sometimes there is just even more detail and links and graphics and things to help you digest what we've just talked about for 45 minutes. And you can also submit a question there or a topic idea We love getting those and they've definitely helped us create new episodes. We didn't even plan on, you know, talking about the topic because someone has mentioned it. So feel free to send those our way. We love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We hope to see you next week. Yes. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Deliverability Defined. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening. And if you have time, please leave us a review. You can find a resource guide for today's show at convertkit.com slash deliverability, where we outline all of the information you need to know from today's episode. If you have a question or topic you want us to cover, let us know within the ConvertKit community or at convertkit.com slash deliverability. We'll see you next week.